Coming up, friend of the show, Matthew Newton, sits down with a fellow CRNA who has practiced independently, runs her own med spa business, and is an aspiring professional cheerleader. This is part one of two of their conversation, so let's get to it. Welcome to the Plan B CRNA podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Jones, and I'm so excited that you're here. The Plan B CRNA podcast is the only show made specifically for nurse anesthetists who are exploring options outside of their traditional career paths. This is the place to expand your mind and your goals as we uncover new ways to produce side income together. Join me for some honest, unscripted discussions with other CRNAs who are transforming their financial lives. This episode is brought to you by On Call Capital. On Call Capital is dedicated to educating CRNAs and other healthcare providers about investing outside of the traditional stock market. On Call Capital also provides opportunities for you, yes, you, to create passive income and generational wealth while also lowering your taxable income through investments in the apartment and alternative investment spaces. If you haven't hit subscribe yet, make sure you do that right now so that you don't miss an episode. Thanks so much for joining me today. And now on with the show. Hello, welcome to another Provider Spotlight episode of the Plan B CRNA podcast. Today, I have a special guest for you. She started her career as an ICU nurse at Emory in Atlanta, graduated from anesthesia school in 2015. Uh, her first position outside of anesthesia school was an all CRNA practice where she used it to refine her skills as an independent provider. And in that setting, uh, she's done hearts and neuro, office-based anesthesia, pretty much anything you can imagine. She's also incredibly active in anesthesia leadership and a major advocate for our profession. She has since embarked on her own entrepreneurial journey and started a successful aesthetics company. She's also a prof an aspiring professional cheerleader. I'm proud to introduce you to Amanda Fowler. Amanda, it's great to have you on. Thank you. It's great to be here. So jumping right in, tell me a little bit about your life and career as a CRNA. What kind of setting do you work in and what made you want to be a CRNA? Oh, Lord, I've had these questions over the years by students, family members, friends, and we all have our own reasons for why we chose this profession. A lot of a lot of CRNAs, it's actually a second profession. So we have our own reasons for why we did what we did. I think my best answer now, it was different in the past, but I think today the best answer I can give is basically I've always been very compassionate, caring, a healer, I guess you could say. And I know nursing was kind of what drove me to that path. But I realized when I was in nursing school it's probably at the end of the day, not going to be the most fulfilling thing for me just because I didn't feel intellectually stimulated by it. So I decided to explore what I could do that would challenge me intellectually, but also that same aspect of caring for another individual. So I chose going into anesthesia. The financial aspect of it we all have to admit it's one of the highest paying nursing professions there is. So that's a bonus, right? A lot of people were, <laughs> were pulled into that um, path because they could be financially stable. It was an important factor, but it wasn't the most important for me. So now today, to answer your question, what I currently do 
I have established my um, LLC. I've been working under my own business for about two years now. A good thing that I guess you could say before I established an LLC as an independent provider is I worked in so many facilities, offices, I mean, you name it, it, I worked everywhere. So I made a name for myself. It was not something I was necessarily planning on doing, um, but it's kind of just how it all worked out. I have a lot of very wonderful mentors, a lot of contacts, friends, coworkers that I've met over the years, either providing anesthesia for them, working alongside of them, so I guess you could say that developing relationships over the last eight years, um, not only in Georgia, but Florida as well, helped me out tremendously when I decided I wanted to go and be independent and um, make my own schedule, um, figure out what kind of setting I enjoy best. It's really difficult, I, I think, from what I've seen over the last few years for a CRNA to, you know, tell themselves, I'm going to go independent. I'm going to leave the hospital. I'm going to leave a regular nine to five surgery center job. Unless you really understand what you're getting yourself into, it's, I'm not saying it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to do, but if you don't have contacts or you don't have necessarily a good networking system, you know, you may struggle for a little while because you have to develop relationships. You, you know, it's one thing to just provide a good anesthetic, but it's also another thing to provide a pleasant, happy, positive, entertaining day for a surgeon or for a gastroenterologist, to, you know, pain management specialist. I think something that we don't really talk about, but part of our job is to, is to entertain and to be someone that they can talk to throughout the day. If you're just going to be, a, you know, a solo provider at a certain facility, or if you're in um, a surgery center and you're one of you know, the only anesthesia providers or one of the very few anesthesia providers, a lot of times if you're quiet or you're just kind of reserved, it's not necessarily a good thing for you as an independent provider because part of that, I guess you could say, part of that responsibility is you have to, you have to have a good personality. You have to be able to be relatable, personable. Otherwise you're not going to really be remembered. And if you're doing short contracts, you have competition. And most of the time, um, surgeons or um, anyone else that needs an anesthesia, anesthesia provider, they tend to prefer those that they remember. Yeah. Um, yes, if you provide a good anesthetic, that's, that's wonderful. But if they don't remember you, they're just kind of lost in the pool of independent CRAs. So, so it's funny you talk about like, you know, building a brand and, you know, you don't, when you first start your career, you don't really realize that. But, you know, one of my things I would say is your, your network is your net worth, you know, and I, you know, I, I did the same thing on accident essentially over the years to where, you know, I had my own anesthesia company and I've, I've held many different roles and wore a lot of different hats to the point now to where, you know, when people are looking for jobs or when they need advice for their career or any of these things, they, they, they seek me out, which is, you know, which is interesting because, you know, it's like, I can't tell you, like, I get, I get tagged on Facebook almost every single day when it comes to something in real estate or when it comes to something in the anesthesia world. And you meet some of the most interesting individuals who, you know, you can help and they can help you right back. Uh, so like you build this network and I mean, like, it's really wonderful for your professional career. So I, I completely agree with there. So one of my, one of my favorite questions I like to ask people is, 
what's your driving force? So why do you, why do you do what you do? do you, what's your, I guess, your main goal in life? Uh, you're not the only one that asks me that. Cause I, I guess in a way my decisions and my path I've chosen over the years isn't conventional. <laughs> I don't do things by the book and I'm not a cookie cutter type of person. I do things very out of the box and kind of weird sometimes, but it's who I am. I've always been an independent thinker and I'm not afraid to stand up to bullies or those who treat other people disrespectfully, abusive. And as you, I'm sure, know, in our world, that can tend, I'm not going to say it happens all the time, but it it can be an ongoing cultural norm that's accepted. Um, anesthesia providers, they have that saying, you know, blame it on anesthesia, blame it on anesthesia. Ha ha ha, we're all laughing about it. But in the end of the day, it's a serious matter that I don't think a lot of people discuss out loud. It's uh, emotionally and mentally draining sometimes in uh, certain settings whether you're in the OR or you're managing multiple patients solo at an independent facility, there's a lot of pressure and you have a lot of responsibility. And when you add yelling and belittling and making someone feel worthless or less than they are, it can become a lot to handle at the end of the day, especially if you're accustomed to seeing that kind of culture over and over again. One of the things that I discussed in my recent interview with AANA was, I guess you could say, one of the aspects that I did not like about anesthesia was that culture. I've always been a very positive, happy person. I've always been very supportive of others and I've always worked on a team very well. I was in sports and athletics most of my childhood and, and well, well, pretty much up until college. So I'm very team oriented and to, to step into a career where, like I said, not, not all settings, but most settings, you will see this abusive culture. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't, it was not for me. I couldn't do it anymore. It, it made me feel like everything I had accomplished thus far was not enough. I was always feeling like I didn't do what I was expected to do. I wasn't, I wasn't the best. I wasn't perfect. And I felt, like I said, very belittled and disrespected. So one of the reasons that I discussed this with AANA was I decided to figure out what I can do in the anesthesia world as an independent provider, practitioner, where I'm not placed into that setting anymore and I'm able to work for myself. I'm able to decide what kind of culture and what kind of environment it is that I work in and actually be the one to create that culture and that positive, happy environment for patients. So to answer your question, it's not the entire um, ingredients of the the decision in order, you know, for me to dis- to decide to open up my own practice. It's just one of the things that I thought about for a long time. Was you know, I went to school for this. I did a lot of 
research and put a lot of time and work into this um, profession, I should not just decide to just leave and, and, you know, quit. I try to figure out what I could do as an entrepreneur to help other people, you know, our patients, and for me to be able to call the shots and create a culture and an environment where work coworkers are happy, patients are happy, and I'm doing something good and positive. So I guess you could say that's kind of a a little bit of a highlight of why I'm doing this. Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, when you when you go into different scenarios, different places, and I've worked at about a thousand different facilities, you go in there and it's very much like a lot a lot of providers, and not only not everybody, but like a lot of anesthesia providers are very task oriented and well, you know, I took this job for X amount and this is this, you know, and everyone gets really competitive and nobody really works together. So, you know, when I go places, I'm I'm pretty similar to you. I tried to establish, hey guys, we're all colleagues together, you know, instead of you know, this one room getting done at 10 o'clock and you just disappearing. How about we, how about you give some watches and, you know, be a good colleague and do everything. And and it's funny because I remember when I first started, you know, going into facilities with that mentality, you know, I would, I'd have like an hour break or something like that in one of my rooms. I'd walk into somebody else's room and say, Hey, uh, would you like to take a morning break? Go get some coffee or something. And they just give you this look like, why? I'm not, I mean, are you tricking me? And it's like, no, no, I'm just trying to be a, a good colleague. Uh, this is how I hope you would, you know, do me. And it's really nice is it takes a while, but if people see that you are consistent and you're genuine with it, eventually it'll rub off on everybody else around you. And it helps create that environment that I think you're looking for. And same for me, you know, I mean, like, and of course, there's some areas that you're not going to be able to fix, but for the most part, people see that you are genuine, like, you know, you will get your breaks, you will, people will pitch in and, you know, they'll, they'll try to help out. And that's, you know, that's, that's really refreshing to see, you know, that, that kind of change come about in like your ecosystem. So as far as your, your aesthetics company goes, you know, med spots are kind of all the rage. Yeah, you know, it's a really competitive industry. What are you doing to set yourself apart from the other med spas and you know, aesthetics companies in the area? Well, like you said, it's very competitive. And believe me, I'm a very competitive person. I mean, I think most of us are. We're all type A in a little bit of at least a little bit, right? But I realized that I've had other people kind of notice and tell me that I have some sort of way with people. I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but I'm very, um, like I said, very compassionate person and I can, I can really make someone smile if I want to. So, you know, these med spas are popping up all over the corners. I mean, here in Alpharetta, Milton, Roswell, they're everywhere. Yeah. I mean, they're like, how McDonald's used to be. I mean, it's crazy. But just as we just discussed with why people choose the anesthesia profession, I think it's very financially driven. And of course, the money is important. You know, everybody agrees with that. Margins but, are really good in med spas. <laughs> <laughs> but if you don't have a reason to do this and you're just focusing on the revenue, you're going to become like everyone else because you're not going to put your, your, your effort. You're not going to put your all into it. It's not going to be something that you can call, call yours and will be a, ref- a reflection of you. If you're just opening a med spa and then you're leaving, you're hiring your employees. Um, you know, you're, you're doing what you need to do as a business owner and you leave it at that and then go move on to your next business endeavor. 
you're not focusing on what's important, what I feel is important. I take that back. What I feel is important in order to be successful. And that's one of the things I did touch up uh, or I did touch on in the um, AANA article was, you know, when you're when you're exploring an entrepreneurial um, path in this, especially in this field, you really need to think about what you're passionate about. You can, I mean, if you're a smart business savvy person, of course you could open a med spa and you can be successful. If you're good at math and you're good at business and numbers and you're good with people, by all means, you'll probably do well. But if you're not passionate about why you're doing this and really the the results of what you see after the fact and, and that that sense of making someone else feel better about themselves and possibly being able to do more in their lives, accomplish more relationships, careers, life in general. If you're not feeling that sense of satisfaction, you're going to lose that driving force you originally had to open up something like this. And you're going to end up, it's just going to be money. It's just going to be a financial transaction. And I guess you could say that's what I feel sets me apart from all these other business entrepreneurs in this industry. But who knows? I mean, I could fail big time. You know, we don't know. That's the scary part about starting your own business. It's a risk. You have to be comfortable taking risks. A lot of people uh, that have come to me and asked me, how do they, how do they start? Like, how did, how do you do this? The first piece of advice I give them is, well, are you okay with the risk? Are you okay taking risks? Are you okay if you fail? Because if you're hard on yourself to the point where you do not fail and you are very calculated and very safe in life, you're not going to do well. It's just not going to happen. So you have to get into that mentality and you have to prepare yourself that you may fail big time. You have to have that sense of, I can get back up again and try again or or realize it's not for you and that you made a mistake in your decisions and move on to the next thing. You have to have a certain mentality and a certain understanding of what you're getting yourself into first. Otherwise, it's just it's just not statistically speaking, it's not going to be successful. So business so, is hard into and people are really risk averse. And you know, that that's yeah, you know, I always say that CRNAs and nurses make some of the best entrepreneurs because I feel like we take very calculated risks. You know, I've 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 started a handful of companies and some have been wild successes and some have just, you know lost me a buck or two. But once again, though, like, you know, when you have your business, you know, I always say your business is your mistress, you know, you have your family, you have your kids and, you know, you have to kind of fall in love with that business because it's going to be around for a while, especially if you plan on being successful with it. You know, like I've been, I've been in real estate for, you know, going on four or five years now and I love it. It's, it's a blast. It's a lot of fun. Takes a little bit of work. But imagine if, you know, I'd gotten in, you know, a couple of years, bought a couple of houses and fell out of love with it. Like, woof. What a disaster would that be? You know, you say you take it, you focus on it. You know, and that's, I feel like what makes us, you know, good entrepreneurs, you know, you have your, you have your med spa, you have your market, you have everything you've done, your homework. And it seems like, you know, it's something you love and you're probably staring at me right now with all my wrinkles on my forehead, just thinking about where you put that Botox. <laughs> like I can see it. You're like, oh my God, so many wrinkles over there. <laughs> it looks great. There are no wrinkles. Uh, good. <laughs> Uh, for for all of us that aren't just listening on the podcast, you can tune in to YouTube to to see the the reflection off my forehead and all my wrinkles. <laughs> so uh, so on to another one of your passions, I guess. You know, 
you are looking into being a cheerleader, a professional cheerleader at that, which is very, you know, very impressive. So I guess tell me a little bit about your decision to go from propofols to pom-poms and, you know, kind of what's your inspiration? What's going on with this? Oh, that was creative. I loved it. That was a very creative line. Wonderful. <laughs> Never forget that one. Um, cheerleading. Wow. Where do I start? So I guess you could, to best explain my recent decision to enter the world of professional cheerleading, I guess you could say a huge motivational factor behind it was I had a little bit of a period in my life a couple years ago. I kind of had to stop and reset and figure out what I was doing with my life and if I was happy in the way it was going, the direction that it was going. I decided that it was not, it was not for me and I was not happy. I had to think back in a, in a time where I felt happy. I felt like myself and I knew that during that time of my life in college, I having, having something to be proud of was a huge push for me to go do better things and to be successful in life and to do the best that I could do and be the best person I could be. So in order for me to, I guess you could say, take this huge step and this huge risk in opening a, a new business, I needed to get back to that original motivational, I, I don't want to say hobby, but motivational side gig in my life. I was a, a, I was a dancer for my college dance team when I was in Georgia College and State University. I was on the dance team for about two and a half years and it it was a wonderful experience. I had danced my whole life. I cheer. I did cheerleading a little bit in high school. I was on a professional all-star team in high school. Um, I I really enjoyed that as well. But the I guess you could say the the thing I was most proud of um, in regards to athletics was when I when I was on that dance team in college. So I decided since I did not choose to go from a college dancer and start auditioning for the Hawks, the Falcons, NFL, NBA, all of that, I decided to go to college instead. Or I'm sorry, I decided to go and pursue my career after college. I I missed out on that on that part of my life. That That's something that I had always wanted to do in the back of my mind. And I just, I never had the ability. You know, I, we all get busy in life. We move on to our careers. We have a family. We have children. We get married. And I always regretted that, that I didn't take one or two years off after I graduated college to go and continue my dance career. I was this close to auditioning for the Hawks right after I graduated, but I decided it was not financially or maybe the most, I guess, intelligent decision. So I just chose the normal conventional path. I went and started my nursing career. So to rewind and go back to your original question, I had kind of, like I said, a moment recently over the last, I guess you could say over the last year, I decided to try to go back to that mentality and that mindset that I had during that time. It was dance. It was a huge way, or I guess you could say it was a conduit to 
me having like inner peace and happiness. And it was a, a wonderful thing that I did for myself. I was, I was happy. I was proud. I was very athletic, you know, I was in very good shape. I, I enjoyed entertaining others and making people laugh and smile. And it was a wonderful experience. So I decided, you know what, after doing a little research and just saying these days how the Hawks are and how the Falcons are after 13 years, almost 14 years, I'm sure things had changed a lot. So I had to start researching and figuring out if this was even a possibility. I never stopped dancing. I have a dance studio in Alpharetta that I am very good friends with the owner and she is a wonderful support of my dance life. I have some wonderful instructors and I guess you could say co-dancers that I dance with on a regular basis. And I have a lot of support in that dance community. So I've never stopped dancing, but me ever thinking about going professional was just, you know, completely out of the picture. So after my research and after figuring out that, wait a second, this may not be what I thought it was. I realized that today the Falcons and the majority of the, the dancers on the team are all very smart, hardworking professionals, just like we are. There's been about, I guess you could say, over the last couple of years, the statistics of the amount of nurses on the Falcons is its astronomical. You would never believe that. I would say at least maybe 30% of the Falcons are in a nursing profession. That's interesting. So with so with the what does the time commitment, I guess, look like for a professional cheerleader? Is this a 40 hour a week job? Is this, you know, I guess, is it, is it hard to get on the Falcons or the Hawks or any of these? Very, very, very difficult. Boy, do I have my work cut out for me. I knew it was going to be a difficult process. Any competitive NFL team, NBA team, I mean, of course, you're going to have to be very athletically inclined. You're going to have to be in a wonderful, perfect shape that other aspect of a professional cheerleader is also the ability to be very personable with others, be able to articulate what you're trying to express when you have interviews. Um, to make things simple, you have to make sure others like you. You have to have a, a you know a good personality. You have to be charismatic, um, relatable, um, giving. Um, a lot of charity work is involved, um, not just uh, you know appearances, but charity appearances. So you have to have a heart, a good heart. So you have to be a very well-rounded individual. There's a lot of aspects of a cheerleader in the NFL. Um, different teams vary on their um, requirements, or I guess you could say their um, their usual selection of dancers. But at the end of the day, you have to be a well-rounded individual in order to be you know, a candidate for this kind of thing. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, what what what's the salary look like for a cheerleader? Is it, I mean, is this a life of luxury where two hundred thousand dollars a year and rich vacations and famous people and hanging out with the football players? Well, some of that. <laughs> some of that. Maybe a little, a little bit of the the end of that. A salary? No, you do not do this for a salary. Forget it. I think the Falcons currently they are providing $100 per home game for the cheerleaders. Oh, so you wow. can make $100 you go to your required home games. Um, the Dallas Cowboys, I believe it's 150 So they do a little bit better. 
Um, it, you don't make money. It, this is not something you do to go make money. This is something you do because it, you're passionate about dance. You're passionate about being an entertainer. Um, you're passionate about, like I said, being a spokesperson of something you believe in, whether you're helping at a children's hospital or you're doing something in the community. It's volunteer work, believe me. And if you're not willing to give your time for, you know, unless you're compensated, forget it. You you'll, you won't be happy because a lot of what is required is volunteer work. Now, can you be a little bit more financially smart and use your, I hate to say these, these terms, but use your short-term celebrity status or whatever you would like to say as a way to make money? Yep, you can. So a lot of times you will see the cheerleaders are offered to, you know, do photo shoots or be in magazines or clothing brands. I've seen one cheerleader that I think she, I think she worked a deal with like a major clothing brand. So there are opportunities if you're driven and you, you know, that's kind of what your motivational decision is. I guess, I guess you could make some good money, but most of the time, that's not what you're signing up for. It's not, I'm going to go and, you know, be rich and famous. Forget it. (laughs) (laughs) So it it sounds like, you know, you've kind of dispelled the ditzy cheerleader uh, myth that, you know, people, you know, straight out of college, you know, 18 to 20 year olds are going right in. It sounds like a lot of these are working professionals that have kind of careers and this is truly their passion. Does, is there, is there any different qualifications? Like for instance, the Falcons versus the Hawks have for a candidate, but when they audition. Um, Most of the qualifications for both teams are pretty much the same. You either have to be a full-time college student or have a a full-time career. That's generally the major requirement. You have to be, you know, athletically fit. You have to make sure you take care of yourself. You know, that's a, you know, superficial, but it just, it is how it is. You have to be aesthetically pleasing to the eye to be out there as a cheerleader for any type of sporting event. Um, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm front runner right now, just being moderately overweight. Uh, and male, I'd be the bottom of the pyramid though, right? That's the <laughs> now on their website or in the paperwork that they're, e- that you're emailed. Do they say you have to be a specific weight? No. No, that's that's not a requirement. You you do not have to be a specific height, um, but there are unspoken rules, and you know everybody knows that. So, <laughs> I had a recent experience when I attended the audition for the Jacksonville Jaguars. That was an interesting experience. I found out I learned a lot um, because it's a different NFL team and it's in a different state. So. There are, there are other requirements that, like I said, are unspoken. I found out from one of the girls that currently cheerleads for them that in order for one of the cheerleaders to make their team recently last year, they asked her to change her hair color. So there's a lot of uh, superficial requirements that are not on paper or not visible to the eye, but they're unspoken things. They, they like diversity. They do not want every single girl to be thin, tan, blonde, or, you know, Latina look, or, you know, they want diversity. So, so uh, I love- have a chance is what you're saying. <laughs> yes, you 
The, so, you know, it's funny you talk about the the unspoken things. So I played, you know, uh, back in the day in a different life, I played college football and, you know, there's a, there's always pros and cons. So, but one of the things they don't tell you is when you go from high school, um, you play college football that they, they, they force feed you essentially. And, you know, it's like it, one of the negative things, you know, I guess about football and pretty much all the teams do it. Not every single one, but most of them, like as a lineman, you know, they make you check in at all your meals and, you know, you don't like it in the beginning, but then they bring you your food and you end up with like two, 3000 plus calorie meals a day. So, I mean, and like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like they're, they're working the hell out of you. You're exercising a lot and all that, but you get really fat and really strong, really fast. You know, and it's one of those, like, you know, kind of, it's funny because like going back, you know, when I played college football, having known that, no, I probably wouldn't have. Cause I mean, it made me huge. I mean, I, I think by the time I got done, I was, you know, I wasn't quite 400 pounds, you know, which is, you know, very unhealthy. And it's like, it takes a, you know, a long time to kind of get back to where, you know, you, you, you want to be. And then, you know, what, like, especially coming out of school as a, you know, a, a dumb high schooler, like you just kind of go with the flow and, and don't think about it. But essentially talking about like, you know, change your hair color or do these things, you know, like people just don't think about all those little un, unspoken, you know, little nuances that kind of go with it. So, you know, as, as you, as you continue to, I guess, you know, transition from, you know, propofol drips to backflips, you know, and you become really famous as a cheerleader. Uh, are you going to continue doing anesthesia? Are you going to stick with the profession? Do a little bit, a little bit of both. What's your, what's your plan? I will. I always plan on maintaining my license and trying to be a good role model, um, a good advocate for the profession. I do care tremendously about that. So I'll always make a name for us in leadership promise. I, I believe me, I will never quit that. That's always been a something that's important to me is to just continue to be a leader in this field because there are a lot of problems that are very, very, they're problematic um, for, for all of us in this, in this profession. And we just, we have so many so many things to fix and it's not going to be fixed overnight. There are, like I touched on cultural problems. There are financial problems. There are problems with the major um, anesthesia companies that we, that we see now are becoming kind of the majority of the, of the employers these days. It's very hard to get away from that. You know, and, and I'm not saying you have to, some people loved working for a major anesthesia company and getting their salary and going home. I mean, that's not, that's, that's great for some people, but you're going to be controlled. You're going to be looked at as just a human body in an operating room. You're going to be viewed as just a number that they have. And I promise you these contracts I've seen, boy, if you are not on top of reading through the fine lines on contracts when you sign these two, three-year contracts and you get these sign-on bonuses that you think are to pay all your student loans off and then you're basically a slave for X number of years. It's important for others to know this first because it's not fair to especially new baby CRNAs coming out of school. Um, I actually used to do this with a, a friend of mine when I was in the hospital. The last hospital position I had, her and I would review the contracts of the new, um, brand new CRNAs that we're signing on just to make sure that we were protecting them. 
I think that's incredibly important. Yeah, there are a lot of predatory style contracts out there. And it's funny because, you know, having having written contracts for CRNAs a lot, you know, I always tell people like, here are the pros of my contract, here are the cons of my contract, you know, let's discuss it. Nothing set in stone. We can, you know, we can talk through it because I want it to be fair for everybody. When I was training as a CRNA, a significant part of my education was about professional advocacy, but that normally meant advocating for our overall profession to other interested parties. And that makes me appreciate what Amanda is doing that much more because for her, it's more about advocating for her fellow CRNAs, the people that she knows and cares about in her life. And it's obvious that this comes from a deeper place for her. I believe that those who run med spas are truly trying to help others feel better about themselves. And as Amanda said earlier, cheerleading isn't exactly about making money. It's much more about the charity and the compassion involved. And I think we could all use a little more compassion in our own lives. That's going to do it for today's show. Make sure you tune in next week for part two of Matthew and Amanda's discussion. This is Bobby Jones signing off. Till next time, stay safe and take care of each other out there. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Plan B CRNA podcast. If you haven't already subscribed and reviewed the show, I'd be honored if you took the extra time. It really helps to expand our reach and get the word out about the show. If you're a CRNA who is interested in sharing your story on our podcast, I'd love to have you. Please email me at bobby at oncallinvestments.com for more information. This episode was brought to you by OnCall Capital. They are dedicated to helping providers like you develop passive income and generational wealth through investments in the apartment and alternative investment spaces. Feel free to check out their website at www.oncallinvestments.com and subscribe to their free educational email series. You can find OnCall Capital on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also check out our YouTube page where you'll find all of the show episodes along with other educational videos. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.